Welcome to Holding Down the Fort, an award-winning podcast show dedicated to curating knowledge, resources, and relevant stories for today's military spouses so they can continue to make confident and informed decisions for themselves and their families. Because let's face it, we know who's really holding down the fort. I'm Jen Amos, a Gold Star daughter, veteran spouse, and your host for Holding Down the Fort by U.S. Vet Wealth. Let's get started. to another episode of the award-winning podcast show, Holding Down the Fort. I am your co-host, Jen Amos, also a veteran spouse and gold star daughter. And today I also have my amazing co-host with me. This episode wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for her. So Jenny Lynn Stroop, who is also an active duty military spouse, mental health advocate, mom of two. Jenny Lynn, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. So glad to be here. Yeah. and excited uh, about today. Oh yeah, no, we're especially excited. We've been kind of texting back and forth about this for some time. So without any further ado, let me go ahead and bring on James Laporta, who is a former Marine infantryman, investigative reporter with the AP Press and military advisor to NBC's This Is Us. James, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I just want to start off with just Jenny Lynn and James. How do you two know each other? <laughs> How'd you guys meet? <laughs> do you want me to feel this one or do you want to feel this one, James? <laughs> <laughs> How do I answer this? I bother her husband with questions about, so her husband is a public affairs officer in the Navy. Yeah. And I send him questions <laughs> that he has to sort of like, do I, you know, do I go to the boss with these questions today or do I wait till he's in a better mood? <laughs> that, that, that there's that sort of dynamic there between, you know, uh, press relations and the journalist. So that, that's how we sort of know each other. So generally, how would you characterize how we know each other? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, that was pretty much it. We met that's, James. That's the professional. Yeah. 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 We met James through a professional work relationship. But then through that, I actually wrote a piece for my own blog about an episode of This Is Us last year. And Matthew shared it with James and was like, my wife had a lot of thoughts and opinions on this and sent it to him. And he was like, oh, your thoughts and opinions are pretty dead on for that episode. And then we met him in LA last year to go tour the set of This Is Us and mm -hmm. see all the things and hear about all the, how they put all the stories together. And so. That's... Yeah. We were just like chilling out in like people's bedrooms. It was really weird. So fun. Yeah. Yeah. So like the sets are built to scale. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, it doesn't feel like you're on a set. You feel like you're just in someone's bedroom. And so like, I think we we're in Kate's room when she was like a teenager. Mm -hmm. And so like on her, if we were like going through like CD album, you know, she had yeah. like sound, she had like sound garden and, you know, like I think she had like ACDC or something like that. But it was weird because I didn't feel like I was on set. I felt like I was like going through someone's like <laughs> personal life, but you know, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like really surreal. I mean, for me, it sounds really surreal to like go on set with anything. So I'm sure that we're going to dive in deeper into, you know, just your personal experience, you know, working on set with NBC. You know, I should mention that was all back before COVID too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just weird that was, by the way, yeah. like that yeah. COVID wasn't even a thing yet. Yeah. Yeah. We um, actually went last Valentine's day. So it was like probably the last really fun thing Matthew and I did before we got stuck in our house was uh, we went up to LA and oh, yeah. with James and got to see oh, the things and they, Matthew and James got to watch me totally geek out when Chrissy Metz, also Kate Pearson drove by in a golf cart and <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> 
Oh man. That's always like, you know, like regular people like us who just see these celebrities on TV. It's like when you see them in person, you're like, oh my God, you're real. <laughs> it's like, it's real. I can see you. I'm in like your same space, but that must've been a really fun experience for you, Jenny Lynn. It has been confirmed that I have precisely zero chill that for all of the, you know, Southern upbringing and reserve that I typically bring to the table. If someone I really, really respect and admire drives by in a golf cart, I'm going to lose all ability to remain chill. And Matthew and James were like, what are you doing? And I'm like pointing, but no words are coming out. And it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> I want to see Jenny Lynn awestruck. <laughs> I want to see what that looks like. <laughs> she like stopped deadpan. Like she saw her before me and everybody. I was like, wait, who? <laughs> like, you know, I didn't even, you know, it didn't even click in my head. I was like, wait, who's driving by? And I was like, oh yeah. You know, and yeah, I didn't even register, you know? So yeah, that was a fun day. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, you know, obviously that was like, wow, well over a year ago now that we're all talking about. Let's talk about today. Let's kind of fast forward to what life looks like for you today, James. So, you know, as I mentioned, you are a veteran, former Marine infantryman. What led you into investigative reporting and, you know, find your way with the Associated Press? So journalism is sort of an accident. And I mean that I didn't I set it. out. Uh, I love accidents. Like I didn't, I, yeah, I mean, I didn't grow up reading newspapers. Mm -hmm. I didn't have this sort of ambition to be like, you know, Bob Woodward or Carl Bernstein or anything like that. The only thing I really wanted to be in life was, was a Marine. And so I was already doing what I wanted to do in life. And I sort of thought that I was going to be in the Marines, you know, for 20 years or until they said, you know, it's time for you to get out. Mm. Unfortunately, they just said that a lot earlier than, yeah. than I had expected. So uh, in 2014, President Obama is trying to end the Afghan war. And anytime you try to end a war, you sort of become over budgeted in terms of the personnel that you have. Mm -hmm. So they were like, you know, you didn't do anything wrong, but thanks for your service. It's time for you to get out. Mm. And so I quickly had to like, you know, what am I going to do yes. sort of things. And so I've always sort of written as a hobby, but not as like a profession. Yeah. And so that's where I thought, well, maybe journalism could be, you know, the new career, but really I didn't know. I just thought, okay, well, I'm not going to be a Marine anymore. I guess I'll go back to college and I don't know, maybe I'll write some things and maybe that could be like a side hustle in addition to being an Uber driver. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I spent most of my career being a freelance journalist. I've only been with the Associated Press since April of last year. So I got hired in the, in the middle of COVID really taking off. Yeah. I was going to say, I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I came over from, um, I was the uh, senior correspondent for Newsweek, covering the same thing, covering the military and national security and, and things like that. But really the journalism thing, it's all a mistake. It, it, <laughs> and I, I mean, it's been a, a pleasant one. I mean, there, there are definitely times in journalism where I don't want to be a journalist because just yeah. the subject matter itself. But, but yeah, it's just sort of been a, I guess, a happy accident. Yeah, no, definitely. Tell me, what did you enjoy the most about your service? Getting out. No. <laughs> you no. just told me you were not happy. That's why I was like, that's why I wanted to know. I was like, you knew, you like kind of knew. And no, no, I, I enjoyed the people. <laughs> I've always had this like weird thing about, I love Marines, sometimes don't like the institution. Mm -hmm. And I really do like separate those two things. I love some of the people that I met. They're all characters. Mm -hmm. from just different walks of life and different backgrounds and stuff like that. So I really like the camaraderie, you know, that you yeah. find. I think that was probably my favorite part of serving just in general, you know, things like that. 
<laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I hope you don't mind me bringing this up, but I do want to apologize for your loss. I know that a Marine that you had served with recently oh, took life. Yeah. And that's hard. You know, I hear very often when veterans, I mean, my husband's a veteran and I I hear very often in the veteran community that like the one place that felt like, you know, home, right. And community was in the military. And it's really hard to replicate that when you get out. Right. And so I just wanted to extend my condolences for your loss, because I imagine that that wasn't easy to know about. No, I appreciate that. And and Mm -hmm. it's actually something I worry about in terms Mm -hmm. of like, yeah. So I have like one list of names, which is like, people that I served with in combat that died in combat. Right. So I have that list. And then I have a completely different list, Mm -hmm. which is just people that I know that are suicides that I either served with or that I covered them at some point as a journalist. And I mean, one list is starting to get longer than the other one. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up. The way I got hired on the, this is us. It started with, I was a fan of the show and I was really struck by how they were portraying the Vietnam War. And they mm-hmm. were getting a lot of things just right about the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was going to, you know, I was going to write about that from a cultural standpoint, not so much the show itself, but what they were getting right. And usually you don't really see too many depictions of Vietnam veterans on TV. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to write about that. But I bring that up because about an hour before I was supposed to interview Dan Fogelman, who created the show, and Tim O'Brien, who wrote the book, The Things They Carry, out of the Vietnam War. Mm. But an hour before I got on the phone, I I was told uh, that another Marine I knew had taken their own life. So it was just about an hour before the interview. And, uh, you know, the interview was supposed to be about coming home from war and reintegrating back into, you know, life and things like that. And Mm -hmm. I lost it. Uh, I was really, and I felt professionally embarrassed as a journalist, um, for, for sort of like breaking down crying over the phone because I saw it as a, a, me being unprofessional, but it was literally a parallel between what Vietnam veterans were going through and, uh, you know, an Afghan veteran trying to re-simulate back into civilian society. Yeah. You know, there was a parallel there. And so, and that's sort of how I got hooked up with This Is Us. Yeah. Uh, it was, wow. I broke down crying over the phone with them. And then I went on sort of a, I was apologizing profusely for having done, you know, because I felt really embarrassed by it. Mm-hmm. But no, I appreciate you um, extending your condolences. That means a lot. Yeah, I know it's important. And I know we didn't talk about this before we started, but it just felt really important to know, like in asking you what you enjoyed the most about your service. And it's really that community and knowing that that is almost the one thing that our veterans lose when they transition out. And it's really difficult. It really is like, even to this day, my husband's been out for almost 15 years and he always goes back to that time when he had his unit or he had friends when he was in active duty and he hasn't been able to replicate that ever since. And so, you know, I think it's great of you to honor these Marines and the people you've worked with by keeping that list, right? The people that you have lost as well as those you have written about and unfortunately had taken their life. But I just felt like I had to throw that in there. <laughs> if that's okay, yeah. I hope you didn't mind me doing that. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah, it felt very relevant. <laughs> no, I mean, there's something about the military community. I've always been struck by how you can have complete enemies in the military community. But I mean, if push comes to shove and you're in the middle of a crisis, even someone you completely hate or disregard, you'll go out of your way to do whatever you need to for them. And they'll do the same thing for you. That's not really too much replicated in civilian communities. If someone doesn't like a civilian community, they're not going to do anything for you. 
Right. And that's sort of been interesting about the military community. And the only other time I've sort of seen that replicated in civilian life is, it's going to be weird to say this, but I love covering hurricanes. So I've covered about three hurricanes Mm -hmm. now in my career. And all of that, everything that divides us as a people goes away. Sexual orientation, religion, racism, that all tends to go to the wayside. It's all about like us versus the storm. How can we Mm -hmm. best get through this together? And it's one of the only times where I I do see communities coming together as communities again. Mm -hmm. You know, and unfortunately what happens is after the hurricane, people do go sort of back to their domiciles. But I love covering hurricanes because you do get to see that. You see the best of humanity where the things that divide us to sort of go to the wayside, at least for a moment. So we need more hurricanes to bring this nation together. Yeah, it's, yeah, so yeah, it's what I'm, I'm, I'm advocating for more. Not that we want it, but you know. Yeah. But, but no, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, that's... Uh, oh, that's an interesting perspective. I never looked at it that way. I know I've been asking all the questions here, so I thought I'd check in with Jenny Lynn. Any thoughts? I just am really enjoying this conversation and totally agree with the whole after tragedy, there is a resurgence of community. And I think, you know, James is right in saying like, we kind of experienced that on a advanced scale in the military, just simply because of the fast paced, ever changing lifestyle we lead. And so I do always find it The only time I really watch the news is after something has happened and you get to hear the stories of people helping each other on a typical day to day. I am not a news follower because it's just too much bad. And I want to hear where people are coming together. And so, I mean, I think that's a great analogy. Like, no, we don't really want hurricanes, just like we don't really want more war. But also look at how well people get together when we have hard things to do. Yeah. I never looked at it that way. Now I'm going to be mindful of like the news after a hurricane. Like I never really paid attention (laughs) in that that sense. So thank you for sharing that perspective, James. Let's go ahead and transition a shift over to the work that you do with NBC's This Is Us. And I know one of the main points that even Jenny Lynn wanted to cover in our conversation today is the importance of seeing yourself on TV. Maybe not literally, (laughs) but you know, the stories. And so with your service, James, and maybe even the work you do today with AP Press, how do you feel like that all comes together in the work that you do on This Is Us? So I started writing about, so I was a fan of the show from the beginning, but mm-hmm. the Vietnam stuff really struck me. And that was yeah. before nobody knew that Tim O'Brien had been hired by This Is Us to write for the, the Vietnam stuff. And so this is going back to 2018. And again, I was really struck by how much they were getting right about the Vietnam War. I mean, someone somewhere was doing, I mean, was really doing their due diligence and research. And and that's where I thought maybe there's a story. And it turns out there was. They hired, you know, someone who their book has won the National Book Award and their book is nominated for the Pulitzer, you know? And so after I wrote that article, you know, uh, Dan, uh, you know, said like, look, if you're ever in LA, stop by. I would love to, you know, talk to you in person and and show you around. And, And I just happened to be in LA and, you know, it was one of those things where like, you know how sometimes people are just being nice and you don't know if they're like, they really mean, you know what I'm saying? Like they yeah, extend yeah. an invitation, but they're doing, they're just doing it at, out of the moment. Yeah. Uh, versus, yeah, yeah. And so I was like, um, maybe he was just being nice, but then there was part of like, well, maybe he isn't, maybe he's actually meaningful in terms of inviting me. And he was, it wasn't just sort of like something that he threw out there. Yeah. Like to everyone. To be, yeah. Yeah. It, he really meant it. He was like, if you're in LA, let me know. 
And so I went over to the studio and, you know, he showed me around, you know, the sets and basically the same tour I gave, gave Jenny. And, you know, he wanted me to talk to the writers for about 15 minutes and that 15 minutes turned into two hours. Cool. And it was, and it was out of that, that we sort of started creating this character who became Cassidy Sharp on season four of This Is Us. But in terms of representation on film and stuff like that, right around that time, in January of 2019, there was a woman, her name is Senior Chief Shannon Kent. She was um, U.S. Navy. She was serving in special operations. She was on a patrol in Syria and was killed by a suicide bomber. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that came out of that I remember was people were sort of struck to see a woman in special operations and serving with special operation forces. I think she was with a Green Beret team. And so I was sort of struck by that, you know, people who cover the military are not, you know, we sort of know that women have been serving in special operations for a while, but the larger general population, I guess, was not aware of this. And so when we started to, you know, create this character, even though the character was based on me and my military experience, the thought was almost like, maybe we should make her a woman. The fact that there's, I was thinking of this sort of sort of reaction that the general public was having to sort of being surprised by a woman serving in special operations and who had been serving in special operations for the almost the majority of her career. Her husband's also a, a Green Beret as well. I think he's now running for Congress, if, if I'm not mistaken. But Nice. And so that's really how Cassidy Sharp became Cassidy Sharp. And, you know, us depicting a veteran who is a woman. It was because there did seem to be a lack of representation on screen. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of how it came about. And this is where James and I start to overlap is Matthew and I were at a two-week counseling intensive in Colorado the night that This Is Us premiered and we watched it and they introduced Cassidy Sharp and he and I were sitting on the couch in this hotel room in Colorado at this at this retreat watching this show and we both watched it in complete silence. Like even Mm. on the commercials, it was almost like I can't breathe because it was the first time that I as a spouse had seen my story on TV and he also was like holy crap, that's what it looked like. The reintegration piece, like that particular episode starts with like a coming home party and parade and then what it looks like post coming home. And, you know, he was like, oh my God, like I could have been her sitting in that car, like that awkward. And it was just done so well that like, we were already big fans of the show too. Obviously we were watching the season four (laughs) premiere, Um, but you know, that really for us, when they started interweaving the post 9-11 storyline was really, and it's so closely mirrored our story that it was really impactful. And so an article came out not too long after that about James being the writer and Matthew's like, wait, I, I know that guy. And so then we, <laughs> then we kind of got connected because then I, I wrote a piece actually about how I was displeased about how spouses were represented on one of the episodes. We were kind of diminished to the critical, I forget the exact wording, but basically we were reduced to like critical and overbearing And I really wrote that, like, it may often look that way, but it's really from a place of like love and caring and having known somebody for so long to know the before and the after. 
to Matthew Beppe to James and we got talking and then he's like, Hey, come on up to LA. And I mean, it's just been, it's for us as a family, it has been really good to see both sides because when you're in it, it's really hard to know what it looks like for the other person. And I think that's what at least that particular storyline did for us was gave us both like the, Oh, that was harder for you than I would have assumed. Yeah. Wow. Well, Jenny Lynn, thank you for talking through that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Jay. Go ahead. No, no. I was, was going to say for, you know, I'm wondering, hopefully your audience knows the storyline, but I mean, the storyline is really like, a. well, now they have to. <laughs> well, the storyline is about a loss of purpose. I mean, that's, and that's a storyline everybody can relate to, mm-hmm. regardless if you're in the military or not in the military, everybody is sort of search for what is their purpose in life. And some people have found it and lost it. And some people are still searching. And so that's sort of what she goes through. She had a purpose in her life, which was, you know, she really liked her job. And now all of a sudden she finds herself uh, home from Afghanistan after a rough deployment. And, you know, she has this line, uh, we see her later in therapy at the vet center. And she has this line about, you know, I went from, you know, leading classified missions in Afghanistan to driving around kids on a Saturday night for Uber. Uh, that's a direct line. Something I said from, I still go to the vet center, which is true. I did the same thing. I was working in classified settings in Afghanistan and I then went to being an Uber driver. Wow. And then just her spouse having to, you know, the one thing that always struck me was, I mean, every sort of marriage has arguments over the bills but I feel like that's almost a focal point for a lot of military families, especially when it's that, you know, the husband usually takes care of the bills, but then he goes on deployment or she goes on deployment mm-hmm. and they pass that sort of bill paying off to the spouse and they come back thinking that they're just going to be able to pick that up. But spouses have already been, they've already sort of put into a plan into place that works mm-hmm. for the household. And that almost becomes something that seems very small and meaningless. All of a sudden it can become a, contention point that could blow up yeah, and cause a lot of resentment in a marriage. Something as small as just who pays the bills, mm-hmm. you know, which is something we also show. They, they have a fight over, you know, bill paying or a lack of bill paying. Easy, customizable, and delicious. Mixology isn't just for exclusive cocktail lounges anymore, thanks to Jab Mixology, which is actually run by a military spouse, Christy Lawler, who is also a guest on our show. You can learn more about her by checking out episode 40 of Holding Down the Fort back in May 2015-2020. Wow, that was a while ago. (laughs) All right, anyway, the Jab Mixology blends are as unique to each other as our customers' individual tastes. Pick your favorite blend, pour the mix into the jar, and add your favorite spirit, and in two hours, you have an aromatic cocktail base that elevates beautifully with your favorite mixer. So their proprietary three-piece strainer lid system allows for perfect infusions and strains, and spirit leaving the sediment in the jar where it belongs. Best of all, there is no bartending experience required. One thing I really like about this, what JAB actually stands for, J-A-B, is to just add booze. (laughs) Of course, if you want to make tea as well, that is also an option. So if you are interested in making homemade cocktails or tea for yourself, visit jabmixology.com. That's J-A-B as in just add booze, mixology.com. 
and use promo code THEFORTS, which is spelled T-H-E-F-O-R-T, at checkout for a free single refill of every Jab jar. Once again, when you visit jabmixology.com, use the promo code THEFORTS at checkout for a free single refill for every Jab jar. Thank you, Christy, so much for this special promo for our listeners here at Holding Down the Fort. That reminds me of a recent article of yours, Genuine, about reintegration. And you're like, you know, to Matthew, like, hey, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing messing up my system? Like, I, <laughs> you know, and it's hard. It's hard because it's like you were able to hold your own for so long. And then he comes back in. No offense. We love Matthew, of course. <laughs> you know, it's just that it's just that disruption. Right. Or, you know, the yeah. term, the, the theme here of reintegration of like how difficult it really is. And so it was really just nice to kind of witness Jenny Lynn just kind of talking through how much that storyline touched her. And I think that's the impact of having our stories seen on TV, right? Is like being told right is like feeling like, wow, like I'm noticed, like my struggles are being noticed, being recognized. And, and then to be able to, to speak that on a mass scale of having that, you know, universal theme of like, Hey, everyone can experience a loss of purpose. I just love the artistry of that, you know, to get so specific and yet be so universal at the same time. Yeah, the goal was definitely, I didn't want anything to go into her storyline that I could not tie to someone's personal experience or even some statistic. Mm -hmm. You know, so like there is, hopefully I'm not giving away spoilers, but there's a moment where she accidentally hits her son. I wanted even something to like as small as that to be tied to a statistic. Mm-hmm. And I did. I, 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 yeah. I researched studies that, that found that there was a study that was done about child abuse in the home. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and, you know, the situation we depict in the episode is not so much child abuse. It was an accident. He was having sort of a, a flashback to Afghanistan. But you know, the one statistic that I found was that they found that women service members who are about to deploy, child abuse tends to go up in those households six months prior wow. to them deploying. And for men, it tends to go up six months after they've come back from deployment. Wow. So even something like that, I wanted everything tied to a real life thing, to a statistic, to an experience. And if it, if it didn't occur in real life, I didn't want it in the storyline. And luckily, the executive producers of the show sort of gave me carte blanche to say yes or no to whatever. You know, like this would happen. No, this would not happen. And they would just, and if it would not happen, they would find a, another way to write it. Mm. or another way to, you know, film it or whatever. Yes. So it was also them sort of placing their trust in me with their show, you know. You could have been like, that is true, wink, wink, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you, I mean, the, the you know, the night when the episode was, you know, because it's not just one episode. It's, I think she's got like a six episode arc mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the first night I was, you know, people were like, are you excited? And I said, no, <laughs> I was, I was incredibly yeah. nervous. Yeah, You know, because the veteran community can be ruthless mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> depictions yeah. of the military on screen. Hence Jenny Lynn's other article. <laughs> and, so, and so I became almost obsessive about it. Mm-hmm. So like even before we started filming or writing scripts or anything, I think I wrote like a 30 or 40 page document of how to do everything. Mm. Like, here's what the hairstyles need to look like. Here's how her ribbons need to look. Here's how the uniforms need to look. Here's the kind of gear that every Marine needs to have. I mean, I really, I uh, was really um, sort of worried 
mm-hmm. about how it would be perceived by veterans. Because mm-hmm. I really thought I was going to get picked apart. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was trying everything I could to prevent that, you know. Well, bravo, because it sounds like you did a great job. I appreciate that. <laughs> right, Jenny <Lynn>? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yes, because unfortunately, I mean, coming from my own personal story, a lot of big name movies about post 9-11 vets came out in the time where we were experiencing a lot of post 9-11 traumatic stress at our house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one in particular came out and built it as a it's a lot about the family life. And so I had already had a bad experience with one of those post 9-11 movies. And I was like, yeah, I'm out like probably forever, like never going to watch another one. Can't do it. And then this one came out and all the press about it was like, you really get to see what the family life was like. And I thought, yes, like we're going to be like, it was so much sand. There was more sand in that movie than anything else. And I was like, yeah, That is not, that's not actually what family life and the family portion was so small. And then also so misrepresented, like we were watching it up in an area that does not have any active duty military. And so that kind of made Matthew and I like the de facto experts for people. And they were like, so like Matthew had a sat phone and you got to call him. No, (laughs) like, no, that's not a thing. Like those are for emergencies. (laughs) calling about your going into labor is not an emergency in the military. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. And so to then have something that was so well done and so well done from both sides that both my active duty service member and myself as a spouse went, wow, they really got that right. Speaks volumes to me because a lot of it, I mean, James is right to be worried about being picked apart because a lot of people get it wrong they're not as thorough and they're not as thoughtful about the depiction. You know, a lot of it's about like the cool gear and the cool guy stuff. And, and it swings one of two ways, either they come home a villain because of PTSD or they come home a hero because they're wearing a uniform. And really the truth is there's a mix of both. It's really a middle (laughs) and every, yeah. And everything in between. Right. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. It's, it's very interesting how, and we talked about this before, I think with uh, Abby Ray with legacy magazine Mm -hmm. that, you know, very often media will over dramatize or romanticize military life. And so to be able to, um, really talk about, tell the story truthfully, it's powerful. And I can understand, at least from your perspective, Jenny Lynn, like why it was so emotional for you and Matthew to just watch, you know, and not even talk to each other during the commercials because of how impactful it was for you to see that. Yeah. I would say, if I remember correctly, we had even more conversations about how to depict post-traumatic stress than Mm -hmm. we did how to to accurately depict the military. Mm -hmm. Like the military part was sort of easy. Yeah. You get the yeah. right gear, you get the right uniforms, you sort of basically teach them how to walk and talk, you know, but, it, <laughs> but post-traumatic stress is a lot more complicated. Yeah. And I remember one of the questions, it was either Dan or one of the other writers in the room, I can't remember, but one of them did ask me, like, one of their first questions about post-traumatic stress was what annoys you about Hollywood portrays post-traumatic stress and, and coming home from war. And, and it was almost what Jeannie said. I said, we're either incredibly heroic or we're incredibly broken, mm. is what I said. You're either one extreme or the other. Mm-hmm. And neither is true. And the example I pretty much gave was, I was like, you know, people with push my stress, they still have lives that they have to live. They still have bills that they have to pay. They can't just, you know, be so incredibly broken that they're laying in bed all day. 
having flashback after flashback. Like that's not how it works. Yeah. They got kids to raise too. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. still have to live normal functioning lives mm-hmm. while working through that post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. And so that was something, you know, I was also very worried about not wanting to have another depiction of those extremes. Mm-hmm. Cause that's not what post-traumatic stress is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I also wanted to show that it's treatable. Mm. That it's not this um, lifelong diagnosis mm-hmm. that you can, you know, find help, which is why we started, you know, we showed the vet center. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, and that's from uh, personal experience. I mean, while I was in the, in the military, I did have difficulty finding mental health services, you know, like a station at Paris Island mm-hmm. between 2010 and 2012, teaching recruits how to shoot. And Paris Island is also a place where, like, it's, it's a training command, so nobody's really deploying downrange. And so it's a time for you to sort of get, you know, mental health services. But the problem is, is you have 50,000 Marines who are permanent personnel, and you might only have two or three therapists mm-hmm. who are working multiple bases. So not only do they serve the training depot, they also serve the air station that was right up the road. So you would have one appointment, and, you know, your next therapy appointment was maybe two, three months down the road. Yeah. And it it just wasn't consistent enough. But but once I got out and learned about what the vet center was, Mm -hmm. because nobody told me what the vet center was, it was wonderful. Yeah. And I saw my mental health uh, dramatically improving. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have her going to the vet center. (laughs) (laughs) Get help. (laughs) Can't stress it enough. I spoke at a conference like almost two weeks ago now, and I I wrapped up by saying like veterans get help, just do it, do it for yourself, do it for your spouse, do it for your family, you know, your kids, like just, just do it. (laughs) Like there's a, there's a lot of available resources today. Okay. And if you don't know where to start, like ask me, ask, you know, let's say Jenny Lynn, you know, like there are people who want to help you. And so I I love that. I love that you stress that importance and, and also how, you know, again, incorporating that into Cassidy's story as well. Yeah. Well, the other thing about our story was I wanted to show uh, that post-traumatic triggers are uh, the worst ones are usually the ones you don't expect at all that have nothing to do with war itself. Mm. You know, most people know, I guess, you know, like fireworks on the 4th of July or maybe like a car backfiring or something like that. But those are not the worst ones. It's the ones that are almost like ambushes that you don't see. And so the one we created her was born out of one of my own experiences, but in her story, she's going after a guy and there's a drone strike. And unfortunately that drone strike happened to kill Afghans that they did not intend to kill. Mm. And so she also had to go and pay cert payments, which is a real thing. And they're not meant to put a dollar amount on someone's life. They're, they're meant as condolence payments, but unfortunately that's what happens. It does sort of put a dollar amount on someone's life. And during that time in Afghanistan, sort of the max payout was $1,200 per family. So what her trigger becomes is that after she gets out of the military, her and her husband are having this argument over paying the bills. And her husband just happens to mention, by the way, the hot water heater broke again, and that the cost of the hot water heater costs more than what she paid for someone's life. Wow. Afghanistan. And that was sort of her trigger. Yeah. Something completely not related to war. Yeah. That triggered that memory in her, you know, 
So we also, you know, show that, that I think, you know, people watching it would, you know, anybody who's had post-traumatic stress could relate to in terms of like, it's these, it's usually like these things that you don't even see, or you don't even think about that they would be related to trauma. Yeah. You know, James, with your work, it's people like you that give me hope for Hollywood (laughs) and for storytelling, (laughs) real storytelling. So, or good storytelling. So I just, you know, want to take this moment to thank you. You know, thank you for what you're doing, your your hard work, the research, maybe that anxiety of perfecting it, because again, we can be easily misrepresented on screen. And yeah, I'm just, I'm taking it all in, (laughs) you know, just kind of hearing you and Daniel Lynn talk. So Daniel Lynn, any thoughts? (laughs) I think if I talk much more, I'm probably going to cry uncontrollably (laughs) because I've heard you. Well, I mean, that's sort of the rule, right? If you're talking about this is us, you have to I mean, can you watch that show without tearing up? First of all, there's very few. I have have friends of mine who I've tried to get to watch the show and they refuse because they know it'll make them cry. Yeah, they're like, I don't want to cry on Tuesday nights. No, thank you. Right. I mean, that's exactly why they don't watch is because they don't want to cry. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, I just, I also am incredibly grateful to know that that in part because of the work you do, like, you know, as a journalist, like it really reflects in what you do for Hollywood and yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. It, it just means a lot to me. Yeah. I appreciate that. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, I, oh I'm a Come on. Like I cried on <laughs> We're like checking in on each other now. <laughs> We've met. I don't, there's not much I talk about so, that I don't cry over. And especially when we're talking okay. like military mental health. I mean, I do this as a job and tear up in like meetings because it's so important to me that people get the help they need and yeah yeah no it's okay not to be okay right that's right that's right right so you know james with everything that you have done so far what are you most proud of you know what are you most proud of in this journey of you know maybe this representation of military families what are you most proud of (laughs) oh jesus that's a big question. I know. I was like, man, I should phrase that differently. But like, it just seems like you've done so much good work, you know, and you should get recognized for it. Um, but you let me know, you know, what, what's kind of that personal win for you? Like, yeah, I did that. Uh, I don't, it's hard to say on one thing. Yeah. But there have been several moments where I've been able to give voice to someone who felt like they didn't have one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is speaking more to my, my job at just in journalism. Uh, I've had to interview a lot of Gold Star families mm-hmm. about losing loved ones in war, about losing loved ones in training. And in fact, as soon as we get off this call, I have to speak to another Gold Star father about wow. his son who died in a training accident. Mm. And so even if a story doesn't come out of it, because mm-hmm. sometimes that happens, you know, not everything is news, but I will say that they, they do feel heard. And sometimes that's the most important thing. There's been several times where I've gotten to at least give voice to, to an issue or to an individual who really deserved it, you know, to elevate a voice that was either being oppressed or a voice that was just not being listened to mm-hmm. in a sense. You know, I take a lot of pride as painful as they are. I do take a lot of pride in how I handle stories where someone usually it's like someone's been killed in combat Mm -hmm. and usually I know who it is before the defense department has said anything but I make it a point I don't publish until the defense department says something now I could I could go ahead and do a story if I wanted to but I think that would be wrong because I know that they're going through the process of going to someone's house 
and shattering that family permanently. And I don't want to interrupt that process and it would be wrong. So that's the first part of how I sort of take care of that story. But the second part is anytime I'm writing about someone killed in combat or a training accident, I don't want it to be reduced to a statistic or a number. (laughs) I really do want to, who is this person beyond just them serving in uniform? What made them them? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I take a lot of pride in doing those stories. And I still do those stories, even though as an investigative journalist, I don't really need to do those stories anymore. They're not really my job to do those stories anymore. But I, every once in a while, if I can, I still like to do them because it keeps me in touch mm-hmm. with why I became a journalist in the first place with the people that I'm covering. I but, think it's a beautiful answer. I mean, that pulled my heartstrings, you know, just like as a gold star daughter and and you hear it, like you just going out of your way to make this gold star father that you're going to talk to next, like feel heard. And sometimes that's just what people need. Even like, it's not even about what gets published. If it ever gets published, it's like, oh, you want to hear my story, mm-hmm. you know? Cause for myself, I think about, you know, once we lost dad, like it was as if he never existed for 20 plus years. It was only until, you know, the recent, about a handful of years ago, when I started working with my husband, who's a veteran and we work in the military community where I had to kind of own my identity as a gold star daughter in this community. And it was a really hard thing for me to do to kind of go back 20 years and re, you know, try to unpack like what that was like. I've recently like started to hear more about nonprofits that support gold star families. And I imagine that, you know, I mean, the way that I feel about these nonprofits is I'm sure the way that these gold star family members that you talk to feel is they feel heard. They feel like they weren't forgotten at the end of the day. And I just want to thank you for that, you know, and I think that's a very valid pride point, (laughs) you know, to really represent the military life beyond the uniform. It's more than just the uniform, right? It's more than just the romanticization, dramatization, heroism of the military. It's the tragedy, the sacrifice, like the PTSD, all that real stuff, you know, that a lot of our civilian counterparts don't get to see very often. So thank you. Thank you, James. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I mean, and thank you for what you guys are doing, because I mean, you guys are doing, I mean, what I do is not different than what you guys are doing right now. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's the exact same thing. It is representation. Yeah. And yeah. representation is so important. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, creating the character of Cassidy Sharp, I mean, Jenny saw herself represented. And how many times had she not seen herself represented? Or yeah. how many times where it got it wrong in some sort of way, mm-hmm. you know, you know, for entertainment value or whatever, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, representation, I mean, it, it significantly matters, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, well, let, let's end on, let's end on, it, I'm going to start crying. Yeah, <laughs> I, know. I was like, you know what, maybe we, this should just be a whole crying fest, but no, no, I'll definitely end on a lighter note here, James. Again, just thank you so much for being on our show. Jenny Lynn, thanks for bringing on James, by the way, like what a treat that we had today, you know, just indulge in this conversation. I mean, I just think this conversation kind of nailed all the holding down the Fort Wickets of like military yes. life, yes. mental health, good story community like this really brought it all together and I am eternally grateful that my military life brought James into my life so that we could have these conversations and like really talk about these things so I think you know this was a good conversation for the books here at holding down the fort where you know story community and mental health matter 
Yeah. Wow. So feel good right now. Well, again, well, James, obviously we have lives and you have more stories to write and represent, (laughs) but before we go, and this will be included in the show notes, but let people know, like, what's the easiest way to get a hold of you if they want to reach out? Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, (laughs) I spend way more time on Twitter than I probably should. I was going to say 60K followers. I was like, yeah. 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 So I'm at Jim Laporta on Twitter. I'm on Facebook at real James Laporta, but I don't update it much. Yeah, but, but, I mean, but Twitter, really my DM, my DMs are open, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, so just shoot me a message, you know, so I'll be there. Awesome. Yeah. Definitely on Twitter, at least 85 <laughs> times a day. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So I'll, I'll like tweet you and y'all probably get a response from me right away. <laughs> probably. I mean, yeah, I mean, I do monitor it. Well, well, that's a very journalist thing. So I, I wouldn't expect anything less from a journalist. So I, I'm not yeah. surprised. Paul or pretty much my whole Twitter feed. It's like Paul, James, Paul, James, <laughs> Paul, James, Paul. <laughs> that's, I know I'm starting to see Paul's stuff all the time now. It's just Obviously, it's like if you click the algorithms, like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. obviously, right? Yep. But awesome. Well, James, again, thank you so much for being here on Holding Down the Fort. This was very heartfelt, so needed. And it affirms what Jenny Lynn and I are doing on this show, which is really to bring voice to our our military families. So thank you for doing your part as well in Hollywood. And Jenny Lynn, thank you again for bringing on James and for co-hosting with me. Absolutely. We hope that today's episode gave you one more piece of knowledge, resource, or relevant story so you can continue to make confident and informed decisions for you and your family. We look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. 